This is Timothy Putnam. So glad that you've joined us again today. We come together each week to examine the foundations of our faith, to see the impact it has on our daily lives so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, we've got a special guest on the show today, a friend of mine, Mark Davio. Uh, He's going to be joining us in the second and third segments. Uh, He is coming into the church this Easter Vigil, going to be confirmed as a Catholic, coming into full communion with the church after many years of journeying toward the church. He's another one of my friends that I met at Asbury Theological Seminary, and Asbury has this penchant for creating really good Catholics, which is not their intention. It's a Protestant seminary uh, meant to equip people for Protestant ministry, and yet uh, several of my friends and colleagues in the Catholic Church are graduates of Asbury, so that's just a very interesting turn of events. Uh, And so that's going to be later in the show. He's going to help us give away a couple of books as we get uh, probably in the fourth segment, right before the end of the show. He's going to ask us a couple of questions, and we're going to give away two copies of Brant Petrie's Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. Great book. Uh, And so he's going to ask two questions, one for the Kentucky audience and one for the Oklahoma audience. And we'll be giving away those two copies throughout the week. So uh, look forward to that. That means we're going to launch right into our, our readings for the day. So let's open our time together in prayer. Let us pray to Christ our Savior, who redeemed us by his death and resurrection. Lord, have mercy on us. You went up to Jerusalem to suffer, and so enter into your glory. Bring your church to the Passover feast of heaven. Lord, have mercy on us. You were lifted high on the cross and pierced by the soldier's lance. Heal our wounds. Lord, have mercy on us. You made the cross the tree of life. Give its fruits to those reborn in baptism. Lord, have mercy on us. On the cross, you forgave the repentant thief. Forgive us our sins. Lord, have mercy on us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All-powerful God, by the suffering and death of your Son, strengthen and protect us in our weakness. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Today we're going to be reading from Scripture, from the Monday readings, the Monday of Holy Week. And so we begin in our first reading with the book of Isaiah, chapter 42. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one with whom I am pleased, upon whom I have put my spirit. He shall bring forth justice to the nations, not crying out, not shouting, not making his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall not break, and a smoldering wick he shall not quench until he establishes justice on the earth. The coastlands will wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, 
who spreads out the earth with its crops, who gives breath to its people, and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you for the victory of justice. I have grasped you by the hand. I formed you, and I set you as a covenant of the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from confinement, and from the dungeon those who live in darkness. That reading comes from Isaiah chapter 42. Today's responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my life's refuge. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. When evildoers come at me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies themselves stumble and fall. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war be waged upon me, even then will I trust. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I believe that I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord with courage. Be stout-hearted and wait for the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Today's gospel comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served. While Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him, Mary took a liter of costly perfumed oil, made from a genuine aromatic nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and dried them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then Judas the Iscariot, one of his disciples, and the one who would betray him, said, Why was this oil not sold for three hundred days' wages and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and held the money bag and used to steal the contributions. So Jesus said, Leave her alone. Let her keep this for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews found out that he was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And the chief priests plotted to kill Lazarus too, because many of the Jews were turning away and believing in Jesus because of him. That gospel again comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Today's reading from church history comes from St. Gregory of Nazianzen. Uh, he was one of the Cappadocian fathers and was a 4th century archbishop of Constantinople. Today's reading comes from a homily on Holy Week. We are soon going to share in the Passover, and although we still do so only in a symbolic way, the symbolism already has more clarity than it possessed in former times, because under the law the Passover was, if I may dare to say so, only a symbol of a symbol. Before long, however, when the word, 
drinks the new wine with us in the kingdom of his Father, we shall be keeping the Passover in a yet more perfect way, and with deeper understanding. He will then reveal to us and make clear what he has so far only partially disclosed. For this wine, so familiar to us now, is eternally new. It is for us to learn what this drinking is, and for him to teach us. He has to communicate this knowledge to his disciples, because teaching is food, even for the teacher. So, let us take our part in the Passover prescribed by the law, not in a literal way, but according to the teaching of the gospel, not in an imperfect way, but perfectly, not only for a time, but eternally. Let us regard as our home the heavenly Jerusalem, not the earthly one, the city glorified by angels, not the one laid waste by armies. We are not required to sacrifice young bulls or rams, beasts with horns and hooves that are more dead than alive and devoid of feeling, but instead, let us join the choirs of angels in offering God upon his heavenly altar a sacrifice of praise. We must now pass through the first veil and approach the second, turning our eyes toward the Holy of Holies. I will say more. We must sacrifice ourselves to God each day and in everything we do, accepting all that happens to us for the sake of the Word, imitating His passion by our sufferings, and honoring His blood by shedding our own. We must be ready to be crucified. If you are Simon of Cyrene, take up your cross and follow Christ. If you are crucified beside him like one of the thieves, now, like the good thief, acknowledge your God. For your sake, and because of your sin, Christ himself was regarded as a sinner. For his sake, therefore, you must cease to sin. Worship him who was hung on the cross because of you, even if you were hanging there yourself. Derive some benefit from the very shame. Purchase salvation with your death. Enter paradise with Jesus and discover how far you have fallen. Contemplate the glories there and leave the other scoffing thief to die outside in his blasphemy. If you are Joseph of Arimathea, go to the one who ordered his crucifixion and ask for Christ's body. Make your own the expiation for the sins of the whole world. If you are Nicodemus, like the man who worshipped God by night, bring spices and prepare Christ's body for burial. If you are one of the Marys, or Salome, or Joanna, weep in the early morning. Be the first to see the stone rolled back, and even the angels perhaps, and Jesus himself. That reading comes from St. Gregory Nazianzen, uh, Archbishop of Constantinople and one of the Cappadocian Fathers. And there he reminds us that we each have a part to play. We each have to approach this Passover, this Easter, in our own way. Whether we are the, the good thief, whether we're Simon of Cyrene, whether we uh, associate more with the Marys or with Nicodemus, we have to approach Christ from where we are and be willing to take up our cross. Well, we're almost there. 
Holy Week is upon us. One of the most beautiful weeks and and something that is is very important to me and, and has been since even before I came into the church is really to urge you, if you've never been to the to Holy Week masses, I really encourage you to go. We're not a people who only worship on Sunday. In fact, in, in the book of Acts, it says they met together daily and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread. And so our faith is more than a Sunday proposition, and especially right now here at the end of Lent during Holy Week. I, I urge you, I encourage you, go to the Holy Week Masses, Thursday, Friday, and then Easter Vigil, and really go to Easter Vigil and to Easter morning because they are two different Masses, unlike the rest of the year where the readings are all the same, whether you go to Vigil Mass or whether you go to the next morning. Easter Vigil is a completely different service. It's a long one, but it's one that I I think that you will greatly benefit from uh, as you approach it. Well, lastly, before we go into the break, I just want to remind you that we're in the middle of a fundraiser here for Outside the Walls. Uh, Don't do it very often, won't do it very often. Uh, Outside the Walls is my gift to you. Uh, It's a show that doesn't get any income. There's no budget. I'm doing it because I love it and I love being here with you. But we are expanding. Uh, So far, we are on two stations now, and we're looking at even adding a network, a third network. And to do that, we need your help because all of the programming has been recorded on borrowed equipment. Uh, And we're looking at purchasing our own equipment. This is a one-time kind of a fee. Uh, and so it's a big investment for us that we need your help to accomplish. If you go to timothyputnam.com slash outside the walls, up in that right-hand corner, you'll see something that says outside the walls studio improvements. If you'll click on that, uh, there's a really good breakdown of what it is we're hoping to purchase and how you can be a part of it. And really to help not only ensure the future of Outside the Walls, but even get a chance to direct some of the content in these coming days. So I really ask that you would go and take a look at that fundraiser and be a part of helping us move Outside the Walls into the future. When we come back, we're going to be talking with a friend of mine, Mark Davio, uh, and giving away a couple of books. So stick around. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. This is Father Joe Townsend from St. Benedict's in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and you are listening to Outside the Walls on 102.9 St. Michael Catholic Radio. Our guest today is Mark Davio, a friend of mine from back at Asbury Theological Seminary. Of course, that's a trend. We've had a couple of those on the show. Uh, But he and I were next-door neighbors there at the seminary, and what that means is that we didn't get a lot of sleep because we were out in the lobby until the wee hours of the morning debating the the more nuanced points of theology. And so I'm still uh, still attempting to catch up on my sleep from the deprivation that resulted. Uh, So, Mark, it's great to have you on the show today. Well, thank you, Tim. I appreciate uh, the invitation to be with you today, and uh, I look forward to sharing my journey with you. Great. We've got Mark on the show today because Mark is being confirmed in the church this Holy Saturday. This is a a big step for him. 
mainly because he was quite antagonistic towards me when I came into the church. And uh, this is kind of a, a, a gloating opportunity for me. It's an I told you so uh, in front of everyone. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. <laughs> Uh, no problem, Tim. I, I'll be the first one to have a healthy dish of crow when I need it. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're talking about, we, we're coming out of Lent now. We're coming into Holy Week. And, and I've been thinking about this and thinking about it in relationship to your journey into the church uh, and looking at perhaps seeing your journey as a protracted Lent uh, and, and wanted to talk to you a little bit about the anticipation uh, of Easter coming out of that protracted Lent. So let's just go all the way back to when you perceived the journey to Catholicism really began. And I know that uh, you, you've talked to me before about this as right. reading the Church Fathers back all the way back at Asbury and trying exactly. to Exactly, yeah. To it's, it it has been a long journey, without a doubt. And uh, a painful journey as far as in trying to force myself into Protestantism, kind of like a square peg into a round hole, so to speak. Right. So take us from those early days and just walk us through the journey. All right. Well, as you know, Asbury, as you said, I could be quite antagonistic. Um, but more than anything else, I was a very convinced individual. I already had one advanced degree, and so I was very much uh, convinced I had the truth and that you know, I was there to teach almost more so than to learn. Um, at the same point in time, though, I was involved in serious study. And as you said, it was at Asbury that I got my first real hard introduction to the Church Fathers. And when I discovered the Church Fathers, I literally just fell in love with their writing. I mean, it would be like a historian reading the documents of the American Revolution for the first time, you know, and just falling in love with that, that amazing wisdom. And I remember praying to God, I want a faith like that. And God perpetually asked me, do you know what you're asking for? And me saying, no, probably I don't have a clue, but I know that's what I want. And um, so... That's where the journey began, because I, I found myself at that point in time, as you know, very much starting to be attracted to monastic disciplines right. on my own, and adopting a very disciplined way of living out Christianity that was beginning to separate me quite a bit from the Wesleyan brothers and sisters. They, they didn't quite always understand why I took things as seriously as I did, and particularly with, with disciplines. And that, that actually uh, affected your ability even to go into the clergy in the Methodist Church. Oh, it did. Yeah. That was the hardest. If I had to pick the single hardest chapter of my Protestant journey, it was after four years of seminary, having been unanimously approved the year before, being literally booted out of the Methodist system, and being told off the record that the reason I was was that they found my... Uh, call completely bizarre and not part of their tradition. And what they meant by that is, is I had expressed to them that, you know, I was going to live in holy singleness, and that was how I was planning on retiring the debt that I had incurred from school. 
because I was not going to have, you know, the the issues of child raising and the financial issues of, of a, you know, of a household, a wife, and all those, you know, that great middle-class American lifestyle. And, I mean, I got the rough ride. There's no other way of putting it. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even dismissed from the system in person. I was dismissed by a letter three weeks after the interview. And it was very, very, very uh, difficult period of time because I didn't know what was going on or what I was going to do from there. And I wound up, I was hoping to stay in Kentucky, and I wound up coming back home to California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you're, you're out of seminary now, and you're, right. you're living in California, and, mm-hmm. and yet your journey's still not done. Uh, no. I'm still Wesleyan at heart. And I love a lot of what Wesley had to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've loved a lot of what the Methodist Church had to say. Right, <laughs> right. Because Wesley, believe it or not, there's a dichotomy between, you know, what Wesley viewed his faith and, and the, how seriously, again, Wesley took the faith, and how seriously his disciples, as it were, take the faith today. Right. Uh, the Methodist Church has become a conglomeration of anything from anything goes to, uh, you know, some very serious Christians. Right. But overall, um, the the United Methodist denomination right now is itself a mess. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It's just an outright mess. Uh, With conservatives and liberals, if you will, for lack of a better term, you can say progressives, I suppose, and religious conservatives, whatever whatever you want to. But with these two groups not able to agree on the color of paint, and yet insisting they remain united in one church. Right. Neither side willing to take the step that it would take to say that, you know what, we don't agree, and, you know, it just isn't going to work this way. Uh, something's got to give. So I wound up going from there into the Nazarene, which is a more conservative Wesley denomination, but only to find out there the conservative meant uh, conservative American, not so much conservative Christian. Right. <laughs> and that that's a big difference that a lot of people uh, don't see. We, we view our faith through the eyes of our culture rather than viewing our culture through the eyes of our faith. Precisely. So when you start making a criterion that somebody belonged to a certain political party in order to be Christian, or that you support a particular candidate, like... For instance, the last election, I know that as Catholics, you know, we need to take part in the political process, and I, and I absolutely agree with that. At the same point in time, I look at this, and I'm like, well, the last election, you know, I did not, there was not a clear choice of candidate. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You, you, you had on the one side uh, somebody who was a religious nightmare, and you had on the other side uh, somebody whose policies were going to be devastating uh, toward uh, our economy. Uh, in particular. And so you sometimes have to, as a Christian, decipher what is the best choice to make in order to be uh, very, shall we say, precise to our faith and to be very, make sure that we stay close to Christ. To, close to Christ. Right. So here you are, you're in the Nazarene Church, and, and yet... Y- you're interacting with Catholics, 
on yes. on a somewhat regular basis, whether it be through social media or through through other ways. I, I know that you interact mostly with- through social media because mm-hmm. I started doing apologetics online even then. Yeah, um, and now I do apologetics online uh, through Facebook as a Catholic and. Uh, I always engage the same way. I've always engaged respectfully. I mean, I know you said we had some battles, and we did. And there was only a couple of occasions, I think, where we could ever point to where I ever got, you know, truly disrespectful Mm -hmm. to the point of, you know, it was hard for me with you because, (laughs) you know, for me, you had been raised Protestant. You were in a Protestant school. And so when you're turning Catholic, I'm like, what the heck are you doing? You know, <laughs> I, it just didn't make it, it didn't resonate with me at all. And so for me, that was a lot harder than like say a cradle Catholic that had been you know Catholic their whole lives. You know, and I, I understood that a lot more. Okay, well you were raised that way. Of course you understand that, and God works with that, and God understands you. You know what I'm saying? But for somebody to actually choose Catholicism, right, was absolutely beyond my understanding at that point in time. Well, let's turn the clock back a long way uh, and and talk about your early conceptions and those pictures that were given to you of Catholicism, because that really played into whether or not you were going, I mean, how you approached the, the, the theology of it is that you already had a conception of what it meant to be Catholic. Oh, I did, because I was raised with it. I was raised in a small town in upstate New York in which everything was very polarized. Mm-hmm. There were the Catholics, as we call them, <laughs> and, then, and then there was us, you know, and it was really an us and them. Mm-hmm. Now, ironically, uh, my brothers went on to marry Catholic girls, but they weren't uh, devout Catholics, you know what I'm saying? Both right. of them pretty much left the faith, although they did, interestingly enough, both of them sent their kids to parochial school. But they themselves hardly ever attended Mass. My brothers to this day have no confession of faith whatsoever, and, mm-hmm. and they're very open about that, that they don't believe in Christianity at all. And, um, but at the same point in time, we were taught, you know, growing up that there's the Catholics and there's us, and we don't intermix. So my parents had Catholic friends, too, but I never remember religion being discussed in our household and my parents at the time were not actually the most devout Christians, so they were kind of uh, Christmas Easter uh, Protestants, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made sure us kids got to Sunday school every week, but again, it wasn't a priority for them necessarily to be attending services or to be actively involved inside the church, at least not until I got into my teen years. When we moved out to California in my teen years, then... My parents adopted a more active role in our local Methodist church, and I was a part of the Methodist youth group and all of the above. But basically, my early conceptions came not even from Methodist faith, but from Baptist faith. And that perception can be one of the hardest things to overcome, even more than the theology. As Fulton Sheen said, there are not 100 people in the United States who hate the Catholic Church, but there are millions who hate what they wrongly perceive the Catholic Church to be. Well, we're going to take a break right now, uh, and when we come back, we'll dig even further into your journey as we progress towards Easter Vigil this year. Of course, stick around through the break. Later in the show, we're going to be giving away a couple of books uh, based on trivia questions that Mark brings us. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, Broken Arrow. 
fun? You're listening to Outside the Walls with our daddy on St. Michael Catholic Radio 102.9 FM. So we're talking today with Mark Davio, friend of mine from way back, uh, seminary days. We were together at Asbury Theological Seminary back in the 2001, approximately. And he's detailing for us his journey into the Catholic Church and speaking uh, specifically about how it resembles that Lenten journey where we deprive ourselves of some thing for sake of seeking after Christ and deeper relationship with Christ. And so Easter is right around the corner, uh, and Mark is going to be uh, confirmed into full communion with the church at that time. And so right now we're picking up your journey, uh, Mark. You were in the Nazarene church and still yet not completely finding a home. So let's go from right there. And that's exactly right. I was literally sitting in a pew hearing what I would call one of the same five sermons that get recycled. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and sitting there and just feeling nothing, being a pew sitter, having nothing, no responsibility inside the church, and thinking, is this it? Is this, is this the end of my Christian journey right here? And at that point in time, the Holy Spirit literally spoke to me. I mean, literally spoke to my heart and said, have you had enough? Because I have. Huh. And it, and I said, well, what does that mean? And the Holy Spirit spoke again and said, I don't want you to go to any church again until I show you where to go. Every Sunday, I want you to spend with me in worship. I was like, I got to go to church. And he said, no, you need to be in my presence until I tell you otherwise. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point in time that I began to really start reading the Church Fathers again. I started really researching the faith again. And I found myself uh, drawn more and more toward things Catholic. I started watching EWTN, Catholic television, because Protestant television, frankly, wasn't worth watching. Yeah, It was being controlled by the prosperity movement, uh, by and large, and I, and I never got into that health and wealth theology. I wanted deep theology. I wanted somebody to uh, speak to my spirit, and I found that happening on EWTN. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also started listening to Catholic radio, and I started listening to some of the answers that they were giving to various Protestant objections. And a lot of it made perfect sense. The one thing that didn't quite click and the hard issue I had to get over was Mary. I, like many Protestants, was convinced that Catholics uh, had an unnatural obsession with Mary, Mm -hmm. that it somehow went beyond uh, biblical, this this understanding of Mary, that they were almost worshiping Mary as God, and I was having trouble making that distinction. Uh, As you know, you and I had many conversations about that. Yes, we did. And I just... I knew that you were you were worshiping her, but at the same point in time, I felt that where you were wasn't a healthy place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I started discussing that with some of my friends, though, and uh, particularly online, and it started making sense through Facebook. Um, they started uh, showing me in the Bible the respect the love that Jesus had for his mother. 
and the prominent place that she held with God. Uh, Luke one twenty eight was the first heart to escape, you know. Right. Hail Mary, you know, full of grace, or most favored of God, you know, uh, the Lord is with thee, you know. And, I'm, and, and that greeting so shocked her, mm-hmm. as well as that greeting of most favored when I heard that, and having a, a large Old Testament background, it automatically brought me back to the story of Boaz and Ruth. Right. And understanding how Boaz had taken Ruth under his, under his wing as his most favored. The mm-hmm. one thing that really turned me, though, believe it or not, happened still at that point in time in a Methodist church I visited. I took my parents to their church, so, because they don't uh, always have rides to get places, and I wasn't going to just leave and go back, so I decided to sit through the service there. Mm-hmm. And it was during the Advent season, and they were talking about... Uh, no, I'm sorry, it was during one season then, and they were talking about uh, the Palm Sunday coming up. You know, and how in Matthew's account, uh, the... Uh, full of the donkey was to be sought with the mare, you know, for Jesus to ride on into Jerusalem. And she asked us the question, the pastor said, uh, why do you think that they were getting both a mare and a colt, and not just the colt? And she said, a local fellow from here answered this question. We couldn't answer it. But a local fellow did. He said, let me tell you something. I've raised donkeys and mules most of my life. And he says, if you go to take a colt, you don't get the colt without the mother. Mm -hmm. And that's where the click happened. You can't have Christ without his mother. It's absolutely impossible. Right. And that's where it really came home for me was when I, when I made that realization that right there in sort of parabolic form was that close, united connection between Jesus and his mother, that, that salvific connection. You can't have an incarnate Christ without a mother. Right. And you can't have the mother without the incarnate Christ. They are inextricably linked. Package deal. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Well, and you know, through through Christ, we have uh, God the Father because He has given us all things. It's His His divine nature that brings us mm. into union with God the Father. Exactly. Uh, but through Christ's human nature, which only right. comes by virtue of the Virgin Mary, uh, and the, that's a real key that. Unfortunately, Protestants don't get. Mm-hmm. They don't realize it, but they delve into the story and heresy. Right. And they separate that divine and the human. Right. Because when they get to Mary, they'll say, well, Mary gave birth to the human. And that makes no sense. If Christ is not incarnate in the womb, Christ is not God in the womb. If Christ is not God in the womb, he's not God when he draws his first breath either. And if he's not God when he draws his first breath, then he's not God when he draws his last Exactly. He's not got on the cross. Mm-hmm. And so many uh, really want to divorce him from being God on the cross. Why? Because the cross is a weak place. Right. And the cross is the center of our faith. Isn't that ironic? 
Mm-hmm. The Protestants make resurrection the center of their faith. But the center of our faith is that cross, our redemption, where God became weak on our behalf, willingly weak, willingly accepted what that darkness meant, that separation between Father and Son with only the Holy Spirit to comfort each one and let them both know that this was all going to work out okay. You know, I, I've long believed and, and haven't had many people take me up on it from the Protestant world, but that if Christ had never been raised, we would still be redeemed because our redemption is in the crucifixion. However, right. the, the, the resurrection is the announcement of our hope. Precisely. It, as well as the announcement, not just of our hope, but of our responsibility. Think about it. Yeah, that's true. It's who we are called to be. Christ is human as we are yet to become human, as Mm -hmm. we should seek to become human. So that's why we as Catholics, what, we don't excuse our sin. We don't make rationalization for our sin. We confess our sin because we want to be rid of our sin. We want to be in the very image of the incarnate Christ. Well, you sound like you've been doing this for ages. But here it is. Well, I am a convinced Catholic, right? Put it that way. Convinced Catholic. Well, you're a convinced Catholic, and very soon you're going to be a confirmed Catholic. So this is yes. just right around the corner for for you. Uh, give us just a, a taste of your anticipation. Well, one of the most beautiful things that happened to me was at the right of election. Mm-hmm. My deacon, who is also my sponsor, uh, looked my bishop through the eyeball and said, he's the best candidate I've ever known. Hmm. And I was touched. I was really touched by that. And now, this whole Lent season, you know, uh, with not just the sacrifice, but literally understanding Lent from the Catholic point of view and and not just giving things up, but doing things as well, being involved with charity for the poor, being involved with church ministry, being asked to do things inside the church, being expected to do things inside the church, by my pre- by my priests and being expected to use my gifts, um, brings this whole celebration home. I am so looking forward to Easter Sunday. I am so looking forward to the Easter Vigil, mm-hmm. when you know that that confirmation is that that final sacrament that says I'm home. Yeah. Well, Mark, I am so grateful that you've been on the show today. We're just coming up on a break, so uh, when we come back from the break. I'm going to ask you uh, to give us a trivia question, and then we're going to give sure. we're going to give away two copies of Dr. Brent Petrie's the the Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, which I think is just a profound and beautiful book. And I'm giving that away in honor of your deep love for the consistency of faith, both from the Old Testament all the way to the New. Uh, and so we're going to give away one copy to our uh, Lexington audience and one copy away to our Oklahoma audience. So stick around. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, Broken Arrow. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, Broken Arrow. 
We've been talking today with Mark Davio, a longtime friend of mine, all the way back from seminary days at Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky, in our pre-Catholic days. Of course, uh, Mark has told us his story where he has gone through this long, protracted season of Lent over the last several years and is now coming to Easter. Uh, Not only is this going to be a celebration of the resurrection of Christ, but it's also now a celebration of Mark's full reception uh, into the Catholic Church through his confirmation. So in in honor of his deep love for, uh, for theology and for the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are giving away two books. Uh, two copies of Dr. Brant Petrie's Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. Uh, and so we have a, a question that uh, that Mark is going to ask here. Now, uh, Mark, you said you had two questions. So why don't we ask one question for our Kentucky audience and one question for our Oklahoma audience so that they're not answering the same thing. Uh, and you can answer that on facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, our handle is at Outside the Walls, or you can give me a call at 918-928-KPIM. So go ahead and bring us those questions. All right. The first question has to do with Eucharist. According to scholars, which of the Church Fathers was the first to use the term Eucharist in reference to the bread and cup? Excellent. So we'll do that for our Lexington audience. According to uh, scholars, which is the first uh, father of the church, what's the first person who used the term Eucharist to refer to the bread and the cup? So now for our Oklahoma audience, what's our, what's their question today? Well, this one here has uh, a little bit more to do with mass, believe it or not. I'll give a little clue there. But what does the term hallelujah loosely translate into in English? Ooh, and this is exciting because we're about to get to come into uh, the season where we get to say Alleluia again. It's been absent from our liturgy for the whole of Lent, and I'm very much looking forward to when the lights come up and the bells ring at Easter Vigil and it is proclaimed again in our worship. So what does the term Hallelujah or Alleluia loosely translate to uh, in English? That's my question for the Oklahoma audience. Again, we're giving away two copies of Dr. Brant Petrie's Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. Uh, you can answer that at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, our handle is at outside the walls, or you can give me a call 918-928-KPIM. That's 918-928-5746. So give me a call. Thank you, Mark, for being on the show today. We really appreciate having you on. Well, thank you very much. And I really appreciate the invitation and uh, I hope to talk with you again sometime. I look forward to it. Well, here we are. We're almost out of time and I want to give you a gift. Uh, This is for everybody, whether you answer the trivia question right or not. Several years ago, uh, 2005, before I was Catholic, I was lamenting the fact that everyone rushed so quickly to Easter. Uh, I was lamenting the fact that it was hard to get people to come to a service, uh, whether it be a tenebrae service or some other something, that wasn't on Sunday. And Catholics do a little bit better job at that than, than others because we've got Stations of the Cross every Friday and we've, we've got things like that that sometimes draw some of our members back to the church. But like we said right there at the beginning in the, in the end of our first segment, that uh, in Acts, the book of Acts, we see that the, uh, the, uh, the people, the Christians, met together daily 
devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the Eucharist, the breaking of bread. And that's something that so very often we forget in our modern context because they move solemnities to Sundays because that's when people attend rather than saying, this is a very important part of our faith. Please come and participate in the Eucharist outside of Sunday. And so dealing with that problem, even the the music and the hymnals uh, that was dealing with the crucifixion, the last verse would always jump to the resurrection. And, and I wanted something for a Good Friday service, because at the time I was Protestant, that, that kept us on Friday and didn't jump to Easter, to, that let Easter have its own day, but let Friday sink in for what it was. And and the, the triduum, the, the, the three days, the Good Friday and Holy Saturday, uh, that does that really well if you're able to attend it. Uh, but here I was not able to to find a song, and so I wrote one. Uh, now, we don't have time to play the whole song, and so I've edited it down for length, but I've got the whole song available for free on my website. So if you go to timothyputnam.com slash outside the walls, there you'll find a link to this song that deals with the paradox of the cross, uh, this paradox that death brings us life. Uh, and this is called Hail to the Crucified. It's available free for download during Holy Week. And here is just a short portion of that song for your edification. Hail to the Crucified Redemption flows from his side The cross echoes God's reply His answer to sinning Glory in crown of thorns Shame and sorrow and our beginning All hail the Paschal Lamb All hail the slain I am Hail to our God-made man Hail to You can download that again, timothyputnam.com slash outside the walls. You've been listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. We'll see you again next week.